Okay. Yeah, so... So we're talking about stock market crashes. Yeah, you know, I feel I feel down. I, I feel negative this week, so I kind of just want to talk about something that I'm just kidding. Like a little perma bull, uh, perma bear coming out. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling bearish, and I just, you know, I I just kind of want to, you know, you ever want to just like watch apocalyptic movies? Do you ever just like, do y'all like apocalyptic movies at all? Yes. See, I love them. I, lo- I fantasize about apocalypse. Like you Mine's know, zombies. Like, I feel like zombie apocalypse. Would like, be amazing. you know, there's a little room I mean, for almost for most apocalypse scenarios, like in my mind and what I think about. See, when yeah. I think of apocalypse, I think of Mad Max, and I, oh, I wouldn't want that. No, that's post apocalyptic. I'm not talking post apocalyptic. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't last. I don't really care about that part. I won't make it that far. Yeah, I just think of my sanity alone. Right. I just yeah. care about the actual like time of apocalypse. So, you know, speaking of doom and gloom, like, I'm hoping it's like more like Walking Dead rather than. Like 28 days later, where they're like, they don't get tired. Well, and 28 days later, they aren't even dead yet. Yeah. That was, that'd be terrifying if, like, it was just, you know, they're not a virus. So mindless, you know? Like, yeah. That was spooky. Like, that or uh, another one would be, like, I Am Legend, you know, the whole virus thing. It's like, I'd be effed. Like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be Will Smith. I'd be like, you kidding me, man? I wouldn't be able to keep a dog alive, much less myself. Yeah, yeah. I was like, how do you keep that dog alive? The dog is a liability for me. Dude. Because I would risk for the dog more than I would, like, human beings. When you think about it, that's such a hard flex. Yeah. Like, as as Will Smith, as that character, is that, like, I kept this animal alive. An animal that will charge at anything aggressive. Yep. Cuts his ass alive. But, anyways. Couldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. No way. So, I guess we have kind of decided to do an episode like this more of like a educational kind of thing. Is that what we're doing? Yeah. yeah I, th- I think of... we go over like, just give like a brief synopsis of like each of the crashes that we want to talk about. Yeah. And then I assume we want to relate it to like the current market conditions we're given today. Y- yes. So I want to loop around somewhere in between or at the end about of these crashes that we're about to talk about and just listen for, you know, comparisons, like maybe just analyze our own, you know, environment after we go over all these apocalyptic situations. So, um, this is like obviously a list of crashes you could probably look at, right? But in my eyes, there's like three big ones as far as like the American markets are concerned. And, um, that would be, um, well, the very first one, the 1929 crash, this, which would be that predates the great depression. And then there was the 1987 crash that was, um, that was a, a more systems failure crash in, uh, in a way. You know? that, that was when like algorithmic, algorithmic trading and yes. like computational Com- trading came into play. Yes. Computed trading began like in the middle of the 80s. And there's this huge like fundamental flaw that it had. And But we'll get into that. And then there was the 2008 crash, which was the housing market crash. Which most people in our generation is familiar with. I think that's the one we're most familiar with and the one I have researched the least. But um, Oh, and then the dot-com bubble, of course. Oh, yes. And then we'll touch... Well, yeah, we'll touch on the dot-com bubble as well. I think that's super relevant to today. But um, but yeah, let's uh, stick into 1929, the Black Tuesday. Could we go to 1907 first, though? Start us off at 1907. the financial panic. Basically... There was a liquidity crunch when uh, like stuff was happening in California and they moved all the gold out of California and that created like like basically a liquidity crunch. And then you had a lot of speculation and then effectively two major major brokerages, major two major broker two major brokerages ended up um, like basically flipping upside down. Um, so that caused the crash. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. So like you should look into that if you it's 
you know, obviously in 1907, but the solution was they created the Fed. Um, and that's when the Fed was basically came about and was there to be able to basically control monetary policy and react to quick or react quickly to economic troubles in the U.S. Um, but how it originally, like how they were basically saved from this 1907 crash was you had a lot of people bail out others with personal funds, guarantees. You had top financiers and investors like J.P. Morgan and Rockefeller that kind of like threw their own money to keep the market alive. So I thought that was interesting to some kind of pull, you know, from like that timeline, just kind of like uh, kind of help set the stage a little bit for like the reason why like the Fed does what it does today, you know, and like that relates a little bit to the 08 crash where you have like big bailouts, things like that, which we'll get mm-hmm. into. So I thought that was like important for the 1907 um, financial panic. Yeah, I think one thing you can note on each of these is that some major fundamental change occurred as far as regulation or building a system. In each of these crashes. So, um, so yeah, fast forward 12, 13 years to 1929. Uh, obviously, there's already been volatility in the stock market. But the public eye, finally, the, the stock market finally catches the public eye. And uh, the American economy is booming. There's nine years of growth. It's up six times from 1920. World War I was a success. America prospered. Luxuries becoming daily necessities. The economy was just bullish. And uh, everyone was trading. It wasn't just like uh, normal people. I mean, it wasn't just like investors and, you know, um, higher ups. It was like janitors, teachers, like everyone, like celebrities. People were starting to even chart celebrities and their investments. Very similar to something we see today. Um you know, big Wall Street speculators becoming celebrities. I mean, how how often do we see characters like Kathy Woods just like appear out of nowhere and all of a sudden making headlines, you know, like having yeah. cult followings almost, you know, Elon Musk's stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, those like rags to riches stories and stuff like that, that just add more fuel to the fire kind of thing. But um, I guess... Uh, there, there was a black spot with this whole thing, which started with uh, buying stocks on margin, which was effectively where people were able to buy stocks by leveraging credit, basically. And so they would just buy, be able to buy a large amount of stocks or whatever. And everyone was doing this. Like credit, mainstream consumer credit was becoming like a popular thing. Everyone was using credit to buy anything. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of a very uh, carefree kind of environment. But um, basically what ended up happening was the um, like whales were obviously in control of the market and small investors started to realize this and they were that they were trading at like a disadvantage in which these groups decided to form with the goal of buying stocks relentlessly to manipulate the market, which is I think we've seen similar situations even today where market manipulation is. Get big whales moving money. Yeah, exactly. And it just causes these stocks to skyrocket and creates all kinds of volatility. But, um, yeah, and so there were, you know, critics, obviously. There were um, people talking about the issues with this and the dangers of it and all these red flags. But, you know, it was euphoric. So no one listens to that kind of stuff. No one wants to listen to negative stuff when there's euphoria in the air. And then eventually, on the Wednesday before the crash... Millions of shares were all of a sudden being sold, like right at the beginning. And back then, stocks weren't like a click of the button. You know, you aren't sitting on your couch. There was a trading floor. 
it was a trading for it. And, it, and it was even slower than that because, you know, communication wasn't like you could, you didn't even have email, like, mm. you know, like there's just, it was super slow. And so there's all these, there's all this selling on Wednesday and it was the first time that there was literally no buyers. Like all of a sudden there's just nothing on the other end, you know, like there is for us, we have so much in place right now. And then after the panic sets in, basically there's, there's just a huge worry. Like there's crowds at there's crowds at the stock market exchange on the floor, like surrounding the buildings. There's police that have been sent in in fear of riots and who knows what. It was just absolute chaos. It was like the void. And basically a, a group of bankers like decide to try to reverse these massive drops. But in the end, it was all for naught, right? So y'all are pretty familiar with what happens from then on. Like after these uh, big groups like JP Morgan and stuff like that come in and try to start buying, like they force themselves to just be the buyers. And for like a day or so it worked. But unfortunately what ended up happening was everything was just already in full speed panic downward. And the American industry lost like 22% of its value. Like in less than a week, there was $25 billion of personal wealth at that time that was wiped out. Imagine how much $25 billion a hundred years later would be worth. You well, know? And you had, what a lot of individuals who had take like who purchased stocks with loans and that was like their collateral yes mm-hmm. and so it it, it, it would exponentially increase their debt mm-hmm. oh yeah like crushed them yeah yeah went, went, yeah went against them with the with the dramatic crash that occurred mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so basically at that point the, the the public is starting to realize the downside of buying on margin. You know, um, what happens is is when these stocks plunge, that's money lost that has to be paid by whatever broker or whoever they use to buy these stocks. And so that broker would call that individual and say, "Hey, we need you to pay like six thousand dollars like now, or your stocks are going to be gone tomorrow." And no one had that amount of money. You know, yeah. we, we all of a sudden lived in a world where everyone was buying everything on credit. You know, like luxuries were just necessities like like the spending was crazy like people were they weren't even thinking about it like the the issues with doing that kind of that kind of thing taking on that much credit so yeah people lost their fortunes literally overnight and yeah it ended up being the sharpest decline in american history at that point in time which would then eventually trigger the great depression and war across the world Mm -hmm. so and that was um yeah, that was a pretty big one. It took 20 years to get back to where it was. It took 20 years Over to get 20 back. Years. Uh, that, this also sparked, or this also is what created the SEC. So mm. I guess when Hoover left office and Roosevelt came in, his big take was, I'm going to fix this. And obviously, he did a good job. He created the SEC, a couple other agencies that were going to now start regulating and holding people accountable in this market. It wasn't just going to be these big bankers, you know? Like, literally, you had Hoover asking bankers... <laughs> whether or not the government needs to step in and help. And they're just like, no, 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 the market will correct itself. The market will correct itself. And then they found themselves in this. And that's why we have government regulation. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's kind of like the biggest key point of 1929, right? You, you saw this euphoric era of stock growth that seemingly had no end. Everyone couldn't imagine a world where things would go dark and there was no regulation. Everyone was just basically cheating the stock market. You know, it got to that point. And then, you know, you have some push and pull, some increased volatility that is completely manipulated, and boom, market crashes. 
And that's crazy. That is pretty crazy. Like, when you really think about it, like, that's wild. And what scared me the most when I read, read about this about this crash was the similarities that I kind of am just, just find as being regular trading day-to-day, right? Like, how often in the news do you see a celebrity talking about what stock is good, what stock is bad? Or what Bitcoin is good, what crypto is good, what crypto is bad, mm-hmm. you know? Like... You see all this stuff in mainstream media, and luckily we have regulations and we have rules and stuff, but man, and we are kind of like in that euphoric era, I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Definitely. Well, and you think about, I, I don't know, I don't have any data on it, but you know, people still take, might be taking out loans and throwing in like crypto or something. Oh, well, that's, well, so that's another thing, but we'll, we'll have to touch base on that. Yeah. But. You want to you want to push to 1987 real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so this this Black Monday. Yeah. Black so Monday. this is when you had computer program driven. It was actually models. called the cancel crash. So yeah. So this <laughs> one this one's interesting. So this is more akin to like what we're what we have today as far as what the market looks like, where you have computers driving a lot of the trading, things like that, all these different models. Uh, so in this one, basically, what happened was, and there's a variety of different factors that people contribute to it. Whether it was like the Persian the hostilities in the Persian Gulf. You had fear of higher interest rates. And then you had uh, the five-year bull market leading up to this without like really any significant correction. Um, and then you also that intro, the intro of computerized trading, um, which all may have been contributors to like to this uh, Black Monday crash effectively. Um, so basically what happened was it was actually like a five-day period where there was a steep decline in stock prices. So they think it was potentially caused by these computer program-driven trading models. Uh, on Wall Street. So, and on the fifth day, which is referred to as Black Friday, which happened on October 19th, this is when the selling hit its peak pressure. And it was at this point that the trading volume was so high that the computerized trading systems couldn't even process the, the trades. Yeah, the systems literally froze. Yeah. So, they, yeah, and like some, like trades couldn't even get like executed for like a couple hours for people. So, this was, um, yeah, basically caused by like this like continuous selling that eventually peaked um, and resulted in more than what, like a 20% dip in the entire market? Yeah, it was like a 22% dip in the entire American industry. Yeah. Yeah. And so at this time, which a lot of people don't know is circuit breakers were not implemented yet. So this is actually part of the solution that the Fed came up with was to start implementing these circuit breakers to where like if you have like a specific stock or a market that starts you know, dropping a significant route, there, there's circuit breakers to like kind of put a pause to this uh, quote unquote, like fear plunging. So not everyone's just like automatically selling out. They give the market time to breathe, give people time to think and then let it continue. And it keeps dropping until like an even lower point, they'll pause it again. And eventually if it keeps dropping, they'll close the market for that day. Yeah. And that's so. why today we don't see single day, 22.6% of the market gone with $500 billion worth in assets. And, you know, capital gone mm-hmm. we don't see that today um yeah so i kind of i kind of saw the circuit breakers implemented by the fed is kind of mm-hmm. uh one of the big takeaways from this as far as you know the solution portion of black monday basically so and like their means of helping to like stabilize the the market um to like where it is today so i think that's pretty good do you, do you have anything else you want to add to 1987 that pretty much covered the the Black Monday, as far as how it pertains to our conversation. Obviously, we're giving a very 
brief overview of yeah. some of these market crashes. And you can read, you know, books on each individual crash if you wanted to. But we're just giving a brief overview so we can actually kind of speed up to what our market looks like today and how it kind of relates. Mm-hmm. So and also differ. So. Um, yeah, I would say the most important thing in that whole era was the fact that they had just integrated like computing trading. So people were still literally the whole process, I guess, for people to realize how slow the process was just in the 1980s, it was like you would call a broker, the broker would then call the clerk down on the actual trading floor who would then distribute the order to a floor broker who would then go and walk to literally the pedestal that whatever specialist for whatever stock it is you want to buy tell them that's the order you want to make and then they would complete that order like think of all those hands you know those are physical people doing what we do like that's like the wall street visualization that people think of when they think of wall street Mm -hmm. scrambling all over the place Mm -hmm. so you can imagine what happens when all of a sudden you have record-breaking selling days where everything is just chaos people Mm -hmm. are selling thousands and thousands of contracts all at once unbelievable i can't even imagine the pressure that these people must have felt like i can imagine had knocked at least a decade off their lifespan i stress you know you gotta have energy for that and the other big thing about this crash in particular is that the market came to a near full-on meltdown like uh like the president i think it was reagan he actually closed the new york stock exchange and all the exchanges were closing across the country except for one small stock exchange like in chicago or something and that was where like 150 contracts of this like from the stock exchange were actually uh were bought and that like completely reversed the entire crash but like they were literally minutes from a true meltdown where a market would hit zero which is unfathomable i don't even know what would happen if that actually occurred what happens if this who knows but, but yeah circuit breakers that's why we have those now and i guess then we fast forward another 15 years or so to 2008 right so yeah we can go to 2008 you want me to give a brief overview of this yeah yeah so um i highly recommend watching the big short <laughs> if you want to kind of go a little bit more in depth and like a two and a half hour i would say that's the most enjoyable way to learn about 2008 very crash. enjoyable good cast yeah. <laughs> yeah very good cast they did a really good job on that um but i guess kind of like uh very in a nutshell because like when you start talking about like you know, all, like breaking down the subprime mortgages and stuff, it gets really complicated. And there's a know, lot of lingo. Yeah, dilute. We yeah. actually did a podcast on this. If you ever go back and check it out, yeah. So we did a 2008 market crash. Uh, let's see. What's like a good way that I can kind of like sum this up? So basically, you had a bunch of uh, subprime mortgages um, that were being pushed out onto people who didn't really have any qualifications of any to like get these mortgages, but they were getting approved. And so what you had basically was a bunch of people buying houses on these mortgages that were backed by basically securities that weren't very solid. Um, and so like lenders and like, you know, banks and stuff like that were in, institutions were, in, uh, were issuing out these like subprime mortgages across the board. Um, and they were so complicated that even experts in this field didn't know how to value these mortgages mm-hmm. and these subprimes. Yeah. So they were leveraging billions of dollars with basically trash <laughs> mortgages. Yeah. So what, what eventually happened was you have a bunch of homeowners, homeowners with little, no qualifications, um, that eventually can't make their payments. So they stop paying. So the mortgage defaults or the mortgages, they all default and that rose substantially. So the amount of defaults on mortgages went like up really like a lot during this time period, like really fast. And the investors and banks couldn't afford to bail everyone out. And that's effectively what started causing this tumble and it eventually bled over into the market and everything started tumbling down. 
people were defaulting on all their mortgages, things like that. So, and while this was happening, you also had the Fed who uh, who raised interest rates, which they think also contributed to the fact that people weren't able to actually start making their payments. So, so yeah, just kind of like everything started unwinding really badly and eventually led to the ho- housing market crash. And then we eventually ended up hitting like 10% unemployment during this time period and everything like that. So I know many of us were probably like just kids when this happened, but you were able, <laughs> like, you were able to like see what, like witness what was happening, like in your it local honestly area. took about a year or so, if I remember right, for this whole thing to kind of unravel, like this whole bubble was like kind of building for almost like a year. So but, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think like they started noticing it in like 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. And then it really started to unravel in 2007 mm-hmm. and then it crashed and it bled over into 2000. Yep. And mm-hmm. just kept crashing and bled over into the market. Yep. And, and then know, it basically, we did for how long we did for like, it was a while. It took a, took like a, long a decade, time. right? So it took a long time for us to like recover from that. But, um, the thing with the housing market too, was the supply of houses were well past the demand for the houses as well. So that was also like something that's a slightly different from the current housing market we're facing today, but we'll kind of go into the detail, um, in a bit on that. So, but yeah, that's kind of like in a nutshell, oh wait, you had a bunch of defaults on mortgages, on these subprime mortgages. Um, and basically it was like bad lender and banking instit- like institution practice basically. Mm-hmm. So, and then the solution to that was Congress basically approved a $700 billion bank bailout to save these banks. So, and then they also had other stimulus packages that were passed in order to help the, the overarching economy. Mm-hmm. So then began the government bailout era. But, and now fast forward 15 years to 2023 to the next stock market crash. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but speaking on that, it is interesting. Like if you look through the history of it, we named kind of the biggest crashes that have occurred in American history, but there were crashes that happened all around the world. And they all happen to have like this 15 year gap. And it's pretty phenomenal because, I mean, uh, I think before the 87 crash, there was a big housing market crash in uh, Europe that caused a big issue. Like houses weren't actually worth what they were supposed to be worth anymore, similar to ours in 2008. But um, but yeah, Uh, so it is interesting. We're kind of reaching. We're kind of coming up to that year where we're about we're over a decade. We're coming on 15 years since the 2008 crash. What do you all think? What do you all think about our current landscape of? The stock market. I can give a breakdown. I kind of took some bullets just from like what I was kind of observing. So I may, may or may not be wrong, but this is what I've observed. So we have a lot of algorithmic trading. That's still a thing. So, and it might be much better in terms of like the models, things like that, but there's still a lot of it involved. Oh, you know what? Forgot to mention that actually the biggest thing in 1987, and this is important to algorithmic trading was they invented, they came up with the skew. That's what the SEC created. They created the, uh, the actual skew that um, tracked the volatility of a stock into and baked it into the value of the stock. Cause that was the problem in 1907 they didn't know the value and we oh. never had skew before. So that's one thing that we kind of get to enjoy today. We don't see a stock plummet the way it could potentially plummet without a circuit breaker or without, you know, a skew because, mm. you know, so we always know what something's worth. Interesting. Yeah, but that is important. We use that day to day in trading. So that's that, good to know. Yeah, that was actually where yeah. that tool was designed. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was the first one. A lot of algorithmic trading. There are a lot of tech stocks that are heavily weighted, and I kind of allude this to the the dot com bubble. bubble. Yeah, and there's kind of a lot of similarities there with how the all these dot com companies blew up in valuation 
despite the fact that they were like just like really trashy companies, like the fundamentals were completely ignored when the dot-com bubble burst, right? And so that was the thing was like, you had a lot of investors just investing in companies because they had dot-com at the end of their name or whatever it was, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you have market, the market's currently climbing to all-time highs on like almost a daily basis. So, and then most of these market crashes, there was like a five-year span of this really good market like climb. Yeah, real heavy bull runs. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other thing I want to point out was the housing market because that's also booming right now. Uh, but it is a little, it's, you know, different from 2008 in the sense that, yeah, like the mar- the prices are cli- like climbing exponentially, but that's also because there's a lot of demand and there's not nearly enough supply as there was in 2008 compared to the, you know, the demand in that time period. So, and then when you also look at the mortgage credit availability index, which basically like the amount of home loans that are given out, um, it's much lower than the levels were in 2008. So like today, for example, it's like around 150 probably. And then 2005 to 2007, when they started noticing, it was at 800 plus as far as like that number goes. So like just drastically different in the amount of uh, home loans that were given out during this time period. Um, also like the the loans, they're higher quality, quote unquote, right? Like, if, like it's, it's a little bit harder to get a loan like it was in 2008. And then, um, uh, yeah, the other, the other point I had was uh, the stable price appreciation. That was something that they also noticed prior to crashes was that you had a lot of like prices just going up on a regular basis, like just naturally with the rest of the market, despite the fact that that company may or may not even be valued at that current like price point. Or like it might be eons above what it's currently valued at. So those are some bullets that I kind of pulled from just by like like thinking about it. Um, and I, how I kind of think it relates to some of the other crashes in the past and kind of like the some of the quote-unquote indicators that you might have seen in the past if you were looking at it. So Yeah, so I see some similarities that I kind of noticed. And one of them is that there was always something that got implemented, something that changed the landscape of the market in such a way that it was just a creative volatility. And I think like... I, I do believe that if there is volatility in any way, whether it's the same as something that happened in the past or different, there's volatility in a market that is an ingredient to create like a perfect storm, right? And so like in the 1929, that was when like bankers and stock market merged and became major players in the market and uh, doing all that stuff, behind the scenes stuff, you know, all the whales, that was where they were created. And that really d- shook up the market, created a ton of volatility. Um, and you look at the uh, 1987, implementing the computer computed trading, like, and then all of a sudden the system didn't work and it almost melted down, it almost melted the whole system. Um, it's all these like implementations, right? And then in 2008, all these implementations of these crazy loan tranches that were just like, no one even understood how to value them. Like, these are all little signs that are signs that I'm seeing that they all kind of like, they all have a similar thing, even though they're totally different. One's on computers, one's on how they handled loans in the housing market. Another one was big whales being designed and kind of manipulating the market because it was unregulated. Like, but we fast forward to today. We have all these regulations, all these fail safes. How could it possibly crash? Right? Like, what is it that we haven't learned yet? What is it? Something, is there anything out there that we are, could potentially need to learn? Like, are is there volatility that we're seeing? I mean, I see volatility in the housing market, May not be the same way it was in 2008, but I definitely see it. I see volatility in the crypto crypto world, which is 
definitely a part of investing now. Like as retail investors, I mean, that's what people spend their money to invest in. Mm-hmm. And then the the boom in retail investing, like there's that too, you know, um, the number of hands that are in this market now, just as individuals, like it's crazy. I don't think it has ever been this high. So we have a lot of factors, I think, that are kind of playing into volatility. And the more volatility you have throughout the market, I think there's more potential. But maybe our fail-safes are working, you know? Maybe mm-hmm. we have caught everything. Yeah, I was like, what's the impetus that brings a crash, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to imagine right now. We've seen Because even with crypto, we've seen massive drops, even in the last six months. And like, massive. Right, huge. Like, if someone's savings are in there, like, they're freaking out. But... Like it dropped over 50%, right? Across yeah. the board, mm-hmm. if, if not more for some. And so, like, we, we've seen that and it's recovering. And so, I don't, yeah, I don't know what escalates things into a, a crash, right? Like, are people, like, what liabilities do people have that are going to be an exponential loss, mm-hmm. right? That requires a mass sale off of all of these stocks, right? So, I guess we're trying to target catalysts, right? Yeah. I would say another drastic change to the market was commissionless trading i think that kind of opened the door for this retail investment like these retail investors to like kind of flood the market so i mean that in of itself is kind of a potential volatile volatility you know yeah so i have a question okay so do you think our market is currently in a bubble or is it overvalued so which is different because like bubbles typically lead to crashes and then overvalued leads to corrections. So right. I guess my question is, and I think one thing to also, before we answer those questions, I think like going into like the whole macro side of things is like one, no one is ever really able to accurately predict the macro environment because it's just so massive. Like there's so many factors and indicators that one can look at. And it's, it's like, there's too much like information for you to actually like be able to absorb and come up with a legitimate answer. Cause there's a variety of different indicators that point to, Oh, we're in a very healthy market. But then there's obviously indicators that point to, oh, we're in a very like overweight, bubbly type of market. And it all just kind of depends on like what you're looking at, what kind of data you're pulling from and so on and so forth. So I guess like I think my take on it is like if you're a trader, things like that, you should never try and just like predict when you think the next crash is going to happen or things like that. I think it's just a matter of like being a, a safe trader and like balancing out that risk versus reward. Right. So but I guess like with all with that being said. Do y'all think there's a bubble or bubbles or do you think it's just we're in a very overvalued market that's due for a correction? Well, I'm glad you said bubbles. Yeah. Sounds- because that's what I believe I see forming. But is the whole market a bubble? I don't know. Yeah. It's tough to tell because there's definitely some stocks that are overvalued. Well, I, and I think you have to factor in just how globalized our market is. Like just over the last even 15 years, how much it's globalized and other um, like foreign investment, like how much that's involved. Yeah. Because I think it would require like something that would shock like on a global scale for the market to like burst. Right. That's what I, I don't know what that would be, but the, a catalyst for a stock market crash would have to, I, in my, in my mind be some fashion of a globalized incident. Well, in 1980s, they didn't think a crash would be possible. Because they thought, well, it's a capitalist world now. Like, the yep. whole world is invested in on this. Like, there's no way it could crash. But I don't Yeah, I mean, shoot. I mean, it's like we had, what, a 
a supply chain issue plus a a, a pandemic. So yeah, it shut the world. But like you would yeah. think, like, what is that? Is that not a you know? Exactly. Like, is that, that not causing crash? Yeah, there was yeah, a crash like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think it has to be something that is global in effect and immediate, um, or it, it or a fallout over the course of like you know a few months that then shocks a bunch of different markets. That's what I th- you know, and so I'm you know maybe there are small bubbles here and there in the various parts of the market that are going to pop, just like the crypto market. Mm. I could see that happening, like small tech for some reason, like. For example, if the Congress passes some major um, bill that inhibits, you know, big tech, like that could cause like a, I think some kind of pop in like that market. Especially when like those, like the FANG, like how much valuation do they have and how much weight do they hold over the rest of like the market, right? Like in terms of like if they were to drop 10% today, how much would those specific stocks affect the market? And I think it's, it'd be pretty heavily. So, and that's my thing too, is like, I think there's, those types of overvalued like situations where like you have these big like tech heavy companies that are like really overvalued right now and yeah like their fundamentals are solid but they don't match like what they're currently valued at per se but if they were to crash or if they were to pop like it would drag the whole like the rest of the market down with them because if you look at other parts if you look at like growth growth in general has been getting like murdered like since january really so like like no one's gonna look at growth and be like oh like they're like super overinflated like maybe individual stocks within that but overarching, like overarchingly, the growth like sector or like those types of stocks aren't really overvalued at this point. At this point, they're like almost discounted depending on which companies you're looking at. So, but yeah, I totally agree. Like the big ones, like, you know, like Amazon, Facebook, things like that, even like Netflix, Google, like all those that are like sitting in these super lofty yeah. like market caps and stuff. And they have a big percentage of like whatever market they're in, the S&P, NASDAQ, things like that. Just a lot of weight. Yeah, so I, I think a correction is the most likely thing. Yeah. That's what I'm leaning toward is a correction or small bubbles, but nothing that's going to just completely like torch our economy. Yeah. And on a global scale too, right? Mm-hmm. I guess if you're trying to find like a catalyst, right? You got to think about what's different between now and then. And I would say right now we probably have the most amount of government regulation along with all the buyouts and all the all the just money that the government has pumped into this this market uh what happens if there's so much regulation that it causes a void to exist that once that regulation stops or can no longer be you know pumped anymore like maybe that perhaps stems something that actually kind of reveals an ugly truth about where the market actually is valued that's that's what i've been wondering as well because like along those lines like you look at the fed and the fact that they're not tapering for so long mm-hmm. and it's like well what happens when they do finally taper right like how much of a ding is that going to be when you don't have that, that money flowing into the market anymore mm-hmm. so that, that's what i'm curious I, I think like if there was a correction to happen that's like would be like that would be one of the catalysts it would be like when the fed stops supporting the economy so much as much as it has been since covid like I think that's going to be one big catalyst, which I think that alone could potentially be what like triggers a, a correction to happen in the market. And then let's say that does happen. Uh, retail investors are on a, to a certain degree, propping the market up like more than they ever have before. What happens if retail investors who are probably the most, uh, probably the most unpredictable, probably add the most randomness to what's going on because they have the least amount of understanding what happens if they get spooked, hands, you know, <laughs> you know, like what if they get spooked out and all of a sudden you have a massive like 
as quick as it came, you know, it can always leave even faster. And you just have this massive pull of wealth from the market. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, then what happens? You yeah. know, well, it was like we saw that with crypto. And we also saw that with like AMC, like all the meme stocks too. Like they had a, like massive bubbles. And like people talk about it too, how like there's bubbles popping all the time. And like you look at things like meme stocks and how fast they went up and also how fast they crashed. And they might not be down to like the levels they were when people first started going crazy over these things, but they crashed a ton mm-hmm. and like had like, you know, another pop, things like that. So yeah, totally. Like there's just a lot of like liquid hands, you know? I mean, we saw a Redditor by the name of Roaring Kitty. Like at court, like at federal court, <laughs> speaking talking about whether or not they manipulated the market with Robin Hood and all these other higher ups. Please refer to me as Roaring Kitty. Yes. <laughs> for the rest of this. Ridiculous. And so when I think about all this stuff and when I kind of see all this stuff, it reminds me a lot of things that I've read in the past with other crashes that kind of led up to it and stuff. And like... I mean, there's a lot of unknown. I think we're back in unknown territory. Like, it's scary, right? Like, when a market gets so high, it's kind of like, well, where's the top? And it's kind of like, well, where's the bottom? You know, like, you're so high up now. Like, how far will this actually crash? No one actually knows. We're in such deep water right now. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it was going to take a little bit longer to correct from COVID lows, but that happened so fast. It happened so fast. Yeah, and now we're up, like, what, over 20%? Yeah from highs prior to the covid crash Mm -hmm. so it's like we've our like the stock market alone has made leaps and bounds in like you know a year and a half it's almost like the covid crash didn't even exist so yeah yeah it's pretty crazy but it's 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 also like interesting when you look at like earnings reports and you have a lot of these like you can't blame a lot of these tech companies for being so highly valued when like they're crushing earnings every single time you know and that their growth is going up their revenues you know, the EBITDA, like everything is just like going like through the roof. So it's like, you look at that and you're like, wow, well, like that makes sense that these companies would go up. So yeah. So it's just like one of those things where it's like, no matter, like you look at all these different variables and there's certain variables that kind of scream like, oh, we're in a bubble. But then there's other variables where you're like, well, these companies don't like very, like they don't seem like they're really in a bubble. Like when you look at them, you know? So it's interesting to like yeah. just. I know I brought it up before, but uh, I think it was Wells Fargo that cut off personal loans over $5,000 to mm-hmm. their customers. That was like a month or so ago. Yeah. So that that is one that is another little sign that I see that kind of worries me at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Then like, what happens when like interest rates start going back up? Mm-hmm. So that's going to stop a lot of things too. Yep. So what happens when people's interest rates get changed? Or yeah. you know? Yeah, I got mine locked. It's fixed. Fixed. I'm good. Yep. Yep. Now I, I'm curious how, like, especially in the housing market, what kind of interest rates are out there right now? Like, are there a bunch of subprime out there? So, I mean, I don't think they're like the same, like in 2008. Mm-hmm. So like, I think the, the like regulations put in place are like, you know, intended to prevent the banking systems from lending out like garbage like that again. Um, but yeah, but who knows? Like, I, I'm not involved obviously in that whole like lender realm. Yeah. So I don't know like what they're backed by or anything like that, but um yeah, I do know that the levels aren't nearly the same as they were in 2008, which mm-hmm. is like, I find comforting. So it is crazy. So, I mean, when I look at this, like, I don't really know what it would take to crash the market today. And I'm not about to just keep my money out and not <laughs> invest because right now it's still seeming, it's still pretty easy to make money in the market. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, uh, we did a battle of the bros, which we'll have to, give a battle of the bros update 
But, um, I mean, we had some pretty good gains in that month that we did that, that challenge. So, yeah. And we're kind of leading up into like what are deemed the slower months of the stock market. So I'm very interested to see how the stock market plays out to the end of the year, how crypto plays out to the end of the year, what regulations are going to be formed. Like, I'm very curious about it. Yeah. I have like a, my, I have like a quick prediction and like, we'll see if it like, if it happens. So like, cause I've been somewhat hesitant to be in the, like heavily in the market for a while now, but like, like fortunately I didn't stay out of it. Cause if I did, I would like have missed all these gains that have been happening for months at this point. But my prediction is I think there's gonna be a correction sooner than later, like within the next couple months, just based on like the current valuations of everything and like where we're sitting. Um, but I do think it's going to be a correction, not necessarily like a crash. And then I think we're going to like just continue on. like you know with the market gonna it's gonna cover that correction and then go to new all-time highs again do you think we're just in equilibrium to some degree so obviously not perfect yeah right but enough to where we're not going to be thrown off balance so i mean yeah right now that's what i think because like you look at other parts of the market it's like you look at certain stocks and they've been beaten down like crazy this year Mm -hmm. so it's like you look at that and it's like yeah like money could easily just flow from the big names that everyone's focused on into these smaller names and then, you know, once those get overinflated, it just rolls right over to the next one, right? It's just a matter of like, if the money stops flowing to the markets, that's when we start seeing a lot of dips across the board. Yeah. And that's what I'm curious about. And I think that's going to happen when tapering starts happening. But that's just obviously predictions. And um, there's really like, I, I just personally think there's really no way of telling when exactly like the market's going to like start dipping or boom to like, you know, new crazy highs. I think it's always like up in the air. Um and if you are one that predicts it correctly, I think you just got lucky. But that's just my take on it. Well, one thing that does make me feel better is that panic selling is just almost impossible to do. Like, like the the systems we have in place kind of limit and stop that from happening. So I feel better about that. I feel better about a lot of the changes that have been made since since the beginning of the 1900s. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a that's a good like wrap up on all the stock market crashes. Mm-hmm. So I think we kind of went over all the big ones. And I think I highly recommend that you read into it. I think looking into the history of how things kind of started and what the environment looked like, you can kind of allude it to where we are today and kind of, you know, make your own predictions as well. And I think it's just, you know, it's better to just be smarter on what happened in the past um, and kind of help you with like your trading and investing experience. So yeah, it definitely teaches you a lot about just how the market works in general, which I think is valuable information. Yep. So y'all have anything else? No, I'm good on that. Well, I think that wraps it up. Y'all have a good one.